Welcome back to the Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. Today I'm chatting with Norwegian extreme snowboarder and rad mountain athlete, Krista Coppola. Here is a glimpse of what's in store. I find skiing in the dark almost better. The texture and like, you see all things because it casts shadow and you can see the rocks, you can see the pillows, you can see it in a whole different way. I started crying afterwards because it was so intense. I felt so alive. It took us one and a half hour to, to ride down that big line and, and you're just present and that's what I want to feel. Modest, softly spoken, there is nothing that inspires Krista more than exploring first descents in the endless mountain ranges of northern Norway. The landscapes here are empty and truly wild. The skiers and borders, tight-knit, skilled and driven, but with a Nordic understatement. These days, by skiing more in Norway, Krista has made a conscious decision too to try and reduce his carbon footprint. With his friend and filmmaker, Nikolai Schirmer, they have produced stunning footage documenting life at the very cutting edge of steep skiing in movies that always have solid themes around partnership, continual learning, and the challenge of finding the courage to turn back when conditions don't seem quite right. We talk about his transition from the speed of free rise boarding to more nuanced, technical, steeper boarding, where the consequences of one mistake can be fatal. Their new film is titled Eulogy of a Steep Skier, and it's creating quite a buzz. Krista also talks about his fiancée, she herself an accomplished skier, and their wedding plans. His best ski buddy Nikolai is the best man, of course. But I wanted to ask him that classic, slightly annoying journalist question. Will being married change his appetite for risk? Krista, great to meet you. Yeah, Virtually. likewise. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Let's get straight into it. Um, obviously, I've only ever seen you in, in, in your amazing movies. and we, I want to chat all about that, about making films and skiing and, and, and everything. And we can sort of put some of the links in for people listening so they can mm, yeah, watch, some, cool. watch some of the films. Um, where, where are you? Where do you live or where are you based at the moment? And tell me a bit about your age and what you do for a living as well. So three things. Okay, I'll start with um, Christer. I'm 31 years old. I live in Tromsø, northern Norway, and uh, I work as a lion man in the summer. So we build power lines all over Norway, working in all kinds of weather conditions. We're, we're out there. And uh, I grew up here as well, here in, in Tromsø. And yeah, I've been traveling a bit, but I seem to find my way back all the time. And, I love it up here. The winter is long, the summer is shit, <laughs> but uh, no, I love it here. So the summer is not so good. I mean, because I'm a climber and, and skier, but and I've actually, my Norwegian friend gave me the book. It's a, an amazing book, which is like a, some rock climbing, some ski touring, and, and it's yeah. like a little guidebook, but I, I, I'm, I'm guilty. I still haven't been, so I'm in the bad books. And I mean, there are big walls there, uh, but summer, is it, is it just hard to get good weather in summer? Well, it depends. It's like every year is different. Sometimes we get one week of good weather. Sometimes we get two months of good weather. Uh, but like overall, the summer up here north, it's, it's not that warm. And I know some of the people climbing the big walls here are like in Store Blåman. They need to wait until September when you get the nice weather and it's it's stable. 
Okay, so how much... I mean, you are far north. I think the furthest north I've been so far is like Lofoten. That's quite south oh, for you, isn't it? Oh. Yeah, not that much. Lofoten is a six-hour drive from here. We're located 69 degrees north. Yeah. So in the mm. shortest day of the year, which is coming up, oh, how, yeah. how much daylight have you... What time is What time is it getting light and when is it going dark again? Well, the sun doesn't rise, so it's just like... As, as bright as it gets without the sun and maybe it lasts for four, four or five hours and then it just starts to get dark. So if you're working inside some place and you go to work, it's dark, you, you leave work and it's still dark. Wow, it's amazing. I mean, you know, my first job uh, when I was 16, 17, I was a coal miner. So it sounds very similar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. You, you know, it's, it's just dark the whole time. So yeah. <laughs> what about skiing? When does the season start? I mean, obviously it depends on the winter, but are, yeah. are you guys out skiing in the dark? You must have good headlights or something. We have some really good headlamps. And actually I find skiing in the dark like almost better, or not better, but you get to like the, the texture and like the, you, you see all things because it casts shadow. And you can see the rocks, you can see the pillows, you can see it in a whole different way. So you kind of see it better. But if you're going touring in the big mountains, that's a whole nother thing, like riding couloirs or stuff like that. Yeah, and we'll get into that because obviously, as people will see, if they watch the movies, it's, 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 there's some serious stuff going on. Um, <laughs> so I'm thinking about that skiing. I mean, I know like sometimes when you ski in a really bad storm, so in theory it's daylight, but you can't see it. You're skiing. You have to be so balanced on your skis and yeah. almost really feel it in the snow. Yeah, it's kind of like that if you're skiing at night, I guess. It's like skiing in. If you if you guys have seen the movie Interstellar, it's like skiing when you see all the stars coming <laughs> towards you. Especially if you're going fast and it's a whiff of snow in there. Yeah. Are you actually, just for clarity, do you sometimes ski or you're mainly on a board? Is board your passion? Yeah, board is like snowboarding is my passion. I started when I was five, but I found training on skis way easier. So I bought myself a pair of skis so I could just make the less cool or like the boring snowboarding tours make them even like just fun because i love being a new to something and it's just a whole thing to learn nice and, and of course walking with skis is is a bit better <laughs> yeah if you have to do any traversing going sideways on a snowboard it, i mean even with the split board it's it's hard work isn't it yeah it, it's hard work especially with soft boots so this three four seasons i've converted to hard boots so i'm riding ski boots on my snowboard yeah okay so going back to your obviously your job doing the power lines do you are you able to take a lot of time off in the winter for skiing is that yeah like the company i work at they're really nice because they see what my passion is and they know what it means to me so i work until december and then i have time off until the beginning of june so nice. of course I have to save up a lot of money because it's like six months where no you don't yeah. work. Yeah. And of and of course your season is 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 long because I mean you, you can ski in, in the north and linger until well like yeah, June, right? On a good season. 
yeah, on a good season and on a good season as well. Uh, three three years ago, on this time of year, we had two meters of snow. So uh, yeah, sometimes we start the season late September and we end it beginning of June. Okay, and 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 I want to talk about you. I know like lessening your impact on the environment is 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 important to you as well. I want to come on to that, but are you finding yourself skiing? more in Norway are you still traveling a lot no like I found the backyard we have it's it's you can explore here for a a lifetime so I don't see any point of leaving and yeah it's just being close to home and exploring my backyard doesn't require to take any flights or anything I can just walk on my splitboard where I want to go bring a tent yeah yeah, I mean, um, my experience of, of uh, well, Lofoten, really, in wintertime, mm. it was just incredible. I mean, so many possibilities. We were we were lucky with the weather conditions, I think. We had probably, I think we had four good days, a couple of, oh, you wow. know, um, but which was, yeah, you know, and, and so many possibilities of new things to do. We, it's, um, and and the, the winter and the ice all the way down to the ocean, makes it yeah. really special like for me this i mean i'm just talking about lafota now but it was almost like i described it to friends that we climb in scotland a lot in winter <clears throat> those mountains are much smaller than than lafota or not you know yeah. where you are but not quite as big as some of the biggest alpine peaks but really steep and it's like a combination of the wildness of scotland it was like if scottish mountains had babies with the big alpine peaks you would be left with this kind of crazy, um, yeah, impressive uh, Norwegian mountains. And also the light was just, we were in mm. Lofoten in March and the light was just incredible, wow. you know. Yeah. But I've, never, I've still never skied there. So you are a boarder really, mainly. That's your, what was it about snowboarding as a kid that you thought, yeah, this is for me compared to say skiing? Mm. Uh, my father took me, Oh, my father let me try everything. He worked like he he emptied garbage for the whole city, and people threw away so much stuff like skis, rollerblades, uh, hockey sticks, whatever. So he, the things he saw working, he brought them home, and he let me try out everything. And so it was uh, your tried. first your first board or your first skis. They were coming out of the bin. <laughs> No, they weren't. But uh, like he, he just for like he he let me try everything, and he saw me standing on these uh, really really small skis, and I was always standing sideways. Like the skis, you put on one foot, and you put some straps on them, and then you like you push with the other foot. I was standing sideways on them, and and he got a good deal on snowboards for me and my uh, my sisters and and my brother. And after that, I just went totally like this is the thing i'm gonna do kind nice. of like when i was nine there is a picture from the local paper it says christer wants to be world champion awesome <laughs> fantastic no pressure yeah Not no pressure and did you do competitions and stuff or were you how did it as a kid or or was it more backcountry no, it was riding the lift in the local resort, and when we had the competitions here locally, we I ended up competing. 
and sometimes I won, sometimes I didn't, and but I never left for like the the big competitions, you know. I went to the U.S. California once uh, for one month. There was this Oakley contest coming up, and I was like, "Oh, I'll I'll sign up," and I went there and competed, but like not anything big, because the the like the industry up here, like the snowboard community up here in northern Norway, hasn't been the same as down south as for in in Oslo, like the uh, the main city in Norway. So I don't know. The competition scene up here in North hasn't been that good, but that's how yeah, it is. It's, a, it's more like small scale. And, yeah, it's um, really small scale. Let's let's talk about films. How did that come about? Was when did you get involved in the first film? Ski. I'm going to call it a ski movie, even though I know yeah, you're on a board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always been a camera around for some reason. My father, he like he borrowed the camera from work and he took it home and it was like standing building a jump and like yeah do a 360 do a handrail whatever yeah but when i got i was 16 i think i some guys that's older than me they like took me under their wing i met them in the, the skate park and they were snowboarding as well i started hanging out with them and we borrowed a camera and we started to make a movie but it was not like back that much backcountry skiing with it was handrails it was uh, urban jumping and park jumps and yeah nice so i was around six, 15 16 yeah did you ever because i know a lot of people that ride boards also quite good at skateboarding have you ever done dabbled in skateboarding much in the city yeah yeah like i started skateboarding when i was as, as the same time i was snowboarding so in yeah. the winter I was snowboarding, in the summer I was skateboarding and cycling. And mm. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That kind of BMX tricks. And, yeah. And snowboarding and skateboarding, like a lot of people, they do all of it. Yeah. I was this. I'm. I'm happy I grew up when I did because we were out playing all the time, and I had the BMX. I had a dirt bike when I got a little, little bit older, and. We were just out there all the time practicing tricks, 360s, trying tail whips on the BMX. And yeah, that's nice. a great era. And probably like phones weren't a big thing then when you were a kid. No. Um, or I, we started getting phones, but there was no big cameras or stuff like that. You, you, you texted an SMS and you played Snake on your phone. <laughs> old school. Yeah, old school. <laughs> so when was the first film? where i don't know it's going to be going out on youtube sort of was the big the big film where you where you you know put more effort into it and took cameras into the mountains backcountry when was that first film would you say oh that's a good question uh we did some backcountry filming when we when i was 16 like we made four four or five videos so we filmed till i was about 20 but when i met nikolai shermer uh, four or five years ago he took me into his projects and he's been filming for a long time and he showed me like the 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 way into the film industry kind of i had a project before that with a guy named uh, eric Verlo. we did a uh, higher latitude just a low budget uh, film from the mountains and 
Yeah, but I, I guess it's like six, seven years ago when we first, or I was a part of something a bit bigger, going out on YouTube, getting a lot of comments, getting a lot of views. Yeah. And you, do you find it easy to be involved in the ski movie? How does it compare to like going out and just having a day out? Oh, that's that's a good question because I, I've been filming so much these years and with Nikolai, he's a really good friend of me. Uh, I'm I'm getting married this summer and he's my best man. Oh, nice. So we just like we work so well in the mountain together and we love producing. So for me, it's just uh, it's not work. It's not just about getting the footage but being out there documenting the lines or like the experience telling a story it's i I really love it great brilliant and i think yeah i mean if you're spending your whole winter being a a a ski pro a board pro it's it's just part Mm. and parcel of it i guess yeah and yeah the the two films i have seen one is the eulogy of a steep skier and Then the other one was was wavy and and I think it's got another title, but it's the one where you you're in the boat and you're sailing yeah. way up north. What is yeah. that area actually? Where are you in that? Um... Uh, Finnmark, it's called. It's, okay, uh... so you are well up there. Yeah, well, it's like seven seventy degrees northish. Okay, so it's it's a bit uh, north, like a six seven hour drive from where I live here in Tromsø. Yeah, and the one bit on that film, I, I don't want to s- spoil all these films by telling everybody what happens before they've seen them. But there's the bit at the end where you 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 know you you you're well out there and you end up turning around before mm. the top of one couloir. It was as a mountain guide, my job. I mean, it was quite nice to see that you have still that kind of because it's subtle, isn't it? Knowing how far to push it on mm. these projects. Mm. Talk talk us. Try and remember a little bit about that, what was happening and, and why you made the decision to turn around. So being on the boat, like all the time filming, of course, we felt like this this pressure to produce and we found this really cool song some days before. Uh, we went up there and we were battling with the time and the sun came out a bit too early than we expected and started to heat up the snow so we didn't like calculate the snow as good as we should have so we ended up releasing a really big avalanche uh, Nico was lucky enough to just slide onto the side from that day we turned around we got a bad feeling in our stomachs like oh what did we do like where did we do wrong uh, we we evaluated the whole situation and we got on with it but like the whole feeling, I think, stuck with both of us. And doing the last line in the video, climbing the couloir, Nico just got like the super creeps on, like in, in his stomach. He could really feel in in his stomach because the snow wasn't, uh, or we just didn't have the knowledge to like say, this is not going to happen or this is going to happen. The snow is behaving like this and not like this. So we ended up turning turning around like 50 meters from the top because of bad feelings and like the evaluation we did of the snow we didn't uh, yeah we didn't have the knowledge to to say if it was yay or nay 
yeah, well done. And and it takes quite a bit of courage to make those calls, doesn't it? On a, you know. Oh yeah, it it does. Like it's 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 quite special. But you live to ski another day. You get home safely, and when I come home, I kind of want to tell my my fiance Taya like we did a good decision. We didn't push it too far. We pushed it too far once in that movie, and we all saw what happened. So that was the consequence. What would you? Thanks for sharing that. And what would you, if you had your top three tips to people that are going out? maybe just getting into backcountry skiing. So they're, you know, good on the piste and they've got a little bit of knowledge, but they haven't mm. got it fully sussed. And of course in the films, and I know you guys dig a lot of pits and things like that. So you really, that comes across in the movies quite a lot, which is really nice, but it's a big step up, isn't it? And, and you've got to make all these decisions all the way along, like even like, where are we going to ski? Which lines we're going to mm. do? Um, you know, the approach, the descent. What are your big things that you've learned over, obviously, with all, with your experience, in like terms of the, tips you could pass on? The AVI, I like the AVI courses. Like you get the the common like the first class knowledge of of avalanches and snow and like if you can take the class two, class three, and get that. Like you, if you're building a house, that's the the bottom part, and then you go out with your friends good friends that you can talk to that you can share your thoughts with and not hold back because if you're a big group there will always be people not getting to like speak or say what they mean and they might have the creepiest feeling in their stomach like this is not good but they're not speaking up so just being with good friends and of course know your gear know where to go know what uh, forecasts to check uh, good planning the whole thing I think for me going out on tours and starting season that's the like the things I'm looking most of because I've been ski touring with, with groups that are more than three or like four, five, six and often you just end up miscommunicating and like the communication isn't too good and you just end up turning around because no one gets to speak their mind fully or some people don't listen and that's really interesting so almost it's partly the group size and partly the fact in that group there might be people that um not everybody knows each other so they're not comfortable with with putting the hand up and saying you know guys Mm. you know uh also i think sometimes in a bigger group i don't know your experience fitness levels are different so when you're climbing up people the group gets a bit spread out and then maybe the people at the front are making the decisions, the people at the back are not being included. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really interesting. Um, lots of great points. And I think, yeah, the avalanche course, the, the, like what you're talking about, this sort of level one, two, three, um, at least then you have that base, like you say. Yeah. But uh, like one thing I'm missing, because uh, if I were to like go to an avalanche course, my avalanche course would need to say like how to approach crazy steep exposed terrain and know how to navigate through it. That if, if, if it was a course like that, I would 
I would take it <laughs> because you don't get that on the the class two three. No, so it's almost like you would need somebody who had that avalanche knowledge, but could take you on the terrain on the way up through the mountain. So it, I mean, that's probably more. I'm just thinking on my feet a little bit here, but that's probably more like a like a mountaineer's mind on the way up. Yeah, because you're looking at the different angles, aspects, and it's interesting. And obviously, on the way up as a mountaineer, you you the advantage of being a mountaineer, you're moving quite slowly. Mm. So you're going up the mountain, so you've got time. Um, but then, um, so you, you're in two worlds, aren't you? Really, you've got that bit going on, going up the mountain, mm. and then obviously when you start the descent, things are happening really fast as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. It's probably, yeah, maybe there's somebody out there that can, you know, some somebody who who can offer that that advice. Um, yeah, I was thinking about the skiing down as well, because I wanted to talk about that in the the, the eulogy of a steep skier. That film, um, mm-hmm. it comes out quite clearly, like a, the, the difference between free ride and steep skiing. There might be people listening to this who don't actually ski. So try and mm. explain to us what's the difference between a free ride style of descent versus a steep skiing. Like in the in the movie, Nikolai says like the free ride uh, lines he wants to ride. They're not that big, maybe a hundred uh, vertical meters or three hundred vertical meters. And the run out is clean. It means like there is no cliffs under uh, not too many rocks to hit your head on or your body. And if you were to be taken by an avalanche and carried down the whole slope, you would most likely be okay. And the camera crew would be right by and ready to dig you out. Um, but with the steep skiing, like the big lines I want to ride, there is no room for failure. If your slough takes you, like the, you make a few turns and you produce some some snow that's falling down the side it produces a really small avalanche and if you get caught in that taking over a 200 meter cliff uh there there could be like really big consequences you could die and and that's like the in that film he really shows the difference because he's out there having a good time riding four lines of uh, a day but for me, I'm just staring at this big line, like 1,100 vertical meters of steep, sustained skiing. It's a climbing route. It's not a place to go skiing. Uh, what is it? No, thanks for describing that. And obviously, one is probably more about that athletic ability. I think you mentioned that in the film with jump-offs and things like that, skiing mm. really fast on the, on the free ride, whereas the steep skiing, as well as all the danger... There's a big technical aspect, control on the skis, isn't there? So it's much slower and you're navigating your way around these. Yeah, that's true. What is it that attracts you to that? um, I've been snowboarding quite a while and I've done a lot of free riding. And I've done some bigger lines riding really, really fast and I've got this feeling in my stomach that I started crying afterwards because it was so intense. 
I felt so alive. I was all my endorphins just came out and riding the steep lines really slow with both ice axes in and just standing on your toe edge. Uh, every every turn counts. It took us one and a half hour to to ride down that big line and and you're just present and that's what I want to feel. So the first, yeah, no, that's well said. So I was just thinking that first experience when you're riding things so fast and if people watch the movies, we can put some mm. links in. They'll see that, it, I mean, it's properly fast. You guys are not messing about. But that's a bit like base jumping or something, is it? Because it's not quite. But, you know, like base jumping, I always think even wingsuit flying, these guys, it's girls and guys that are doing that, it's like however many seconds or, mm. or even a minute. It's so intense. Mm. Whereas with the steep skiing, you're really trying to slow it. Well, you have to slow it down so it lasts longer and it's more thoughtful. So is that part of it? Yeah, I think that's like, uh, I kind of get the same feeling because my friends and I would said like, yeah, I want to do something crazy. I want to have death anxiety. I want to I wanna feel how close I can come to the limit and still have control. I want to be on that limit and and I think for me uh, and some of my projects that's what I want to feel. I want to be just on the limit of what's possible for me on the snowboard. And it's funny like you say with the base jumpers I did a podcast with Auden uh, a guy uh, here in in Tromsø he wrote his master degree and on base jumpers and like the feeling they get and why they do it. And he saw a lot of similarity in between or between me and, and them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was um, did some stuff on Jerag, you know, the big wall there in Lisa's oh, yeah. And we were spending like one day or two days up there. And then these guys were jumping past us. And we were like, it was so weird that their, their adventure was like a few seconds. Yeah. And they must have been thinking, look at those losers on the wall. <laughs> spending all that time creeping up little yeah. like you know like yeah, this yeah. kind of uh and actually that's where leo holding my friend who i was with he was 19 at the time leo oh, wow. uh, that's that's where he started base jumping because we got to the top huh. and there was a rope hanging off jerag and i looked over the edge i was like mm, i'm not sure i'm psyched on that but he immediately was like yeah that's what i'm going to do i want to do no it way. no way yeah, but it was it was the whole thing. So we were we were the we were the weirdos. We were on the campsite. Yeah. There were just two climbers and some Norwegian friends came along, but everybody else on the campsite were base jumpers and they were pointing over at us, going, Hey look, they're they're the weirdos from England with their climbing equipment. They spend hours on the wall. It was really strange. They were the yeah. regular guys and we were the odd ones. So yeah. bizarre. That's bizarre. Um, yeah. And uh, and actually, the boat that goes to pick up the base jumpers once they've uh, landed, hopefully safely, mm. we were using that boat. So we would get the boat out to the base of the wall, okay. and the base jumpers would get get the boat back. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So That's strange, strange how different people see things and how they do stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I was thinking. So your background. Um, I think you've, you've talked quite nicely about that pressure to film. You you, you feel like you can turn around uh, if you want. Um, you're not a mountaineer by background then? You're more of a... No. Like I have... 
I have no background from mountain climbing, glaciers, no nothing. It's just something I found when I started splitboarding and going out exploring my backyard. Yeah, I saw the possibilities and and what you can do and yeah, I've just never had anyone showing me around actually. Yeah, I was just thinking that could be a good thing because um, you know, if you you there's probably climbers out there that would like to learn about skiing or boarding mm. from you, and you could like share the skills maybe a little bit. But I mean, you look pretty good at it, but you could always expand your knowledge, I guess, on that climbing front. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Thea, my fiance, her dad is a uh, he's a mountain guide like with the certificate okay. and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thea, she worked on glaciers when she was uh, really young. Uh, she's worked at the climbing school in Lofoten. Uh, yeah, she's, she's done a lot of climbing. She's done some of the, like, uh, some, uh, one of the bigger routes in, in Lofoten. And when I met her, she kind of showed me, like, the way with the, trad climbing with the ice climbing just ridge traverse traversing how to use the rope how to tie knots how to big uh, build anchors uh just and and for me it was a really big like eye opener because if i can do learn this really good imagine where i can go with my snowboard <laughs> like there's endless possibilities yeah, and to be clear, in the film, we can see that you are pretty competent. You're doing all of this stuff. Some of the, uh, I, I, I was surprised how dramatic it looks when you, because it's when you see people riding big lines, you see quite a lot of that in the movies, and you sort of get used to it after a while. But a lot of the couloirs you guys are skiing um, and boarding, it, I mean, Scotland, it's really small scale. But in Scotland, we get quite complicated angles, mm. like strange cambers with the walls. Okay. And it, in Norway, it looked like that. So it's really technical because uh, yeah, it, it's the, the different angles of the snow within the couloir and also the fact that it's narrow yeah. makes it look really technical. Uh, yeah. And then the fact that you're doing some abseils and it looks very committing. And of course, it's not like there's a rescue team just around the corner or many other people or helicopters. It's pretty out there, isn't it? It's pretty out there. And like the common thing or like some of the times the problem is the reception to call the helicopter and I'm lucky enough to live uh, uh, where I live and we have the the offer with the, the heli rescue and everything and over the last three seasons I've actually been involved with three accidents where I've needed to call the helicopter or it has been called already and but yeah, we're we're pretty out there, and sometimes we don't walk up the couloirs once, or when we do walk up, you get like a good feeling of the snow. There's some pockets from spin drift over here. There's a big bulk of snow over here, and you have to watch out when you go down. But like abseiling into a line, you don't know. Yeah, that's what, that's kind yeah. of the experience. Like, yeah, it's um, you've you've not been able to check the snow on that aspect or in that particular place. No. Um, is, I'm just thinking in the film you can see that there's all these kind of cornices and flutings near the summit, which is an indication of often, you know, a lot of snow, but of the wind, wind must be a big problem up, up in your part of the world. 
Um, and, yeah. and so slab avalanches is really the big problem. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. Like uh, weak, persistent layers when we have the warm weather and suddenly it freezes, uh, produces crystals, and we get some nice fluffy snow and we get a lot of wind. That's like a really common uh, uh, avalanche problem we we have up here. And that's why we ride often couloirs, because you can find the good snow in the couloirs. Uh, protected the from the wind. Yeah, yeah, really protected from the wind. But of course, there may be really big cornices on top. I mean, what are you doing? Abseiling or jumping them? Or what's, what's the, what's the, depends on the size of it and... Yeah, it depends on the size uh, on it. Uh, usually when we have big cornices on top of uh, couloirs, I, I don't go, go up them. Like if yeah. we have the opportunity to go around and maybe cut the, the cornices and we get to see if, if the cornices hit the, the couloir, we get to see how the snow behaves as well. Yeah. But, uh, most of the times I try to not go under cornices and stay there for a really long time. Facet crystals. I want to step back a little bit to that because the people might be listening, thinking, mm. what, "What are these guys talking about?" So, um, facet crystals can uh, appear for a, a number of reasons, I guess. But, but essentially, what we're talking about is if they they create an unstable layer on the snow, and then you get fresh snow on top of that. So, if you're looking from the side, in my mind, it's a little bit like a sort of cream cake or something. Yes, you know, with the with the with the the sponge at the bottom, and then the cream, which is the facet crystals, and then more snow on top, and of course that can shear, can't it? Yeah. So that's the worry. And in your part of the world, up there in the far north, um, are the facet crystals a problem early in the season, or can they appear at any time of the year? How does it play out? It uh, often we get. Uh... It early in the season and sometimes it stays during the whole season uh, but then again like at some point in the season we get that much snow that it's the persistent weak layer is so far down the snowpack you won't be able to to affect it like you you the pressure you put on the snow won't make it down to the, the facets um, but we had some problems a few two seasons ago, where it happened overnight. Uh, it was warm, it froze in the night, crystals came, the wind came with some new snow, created a wind slab, and people coming up the day after, they uh, they got caught in an avalanche, a big one, and they actually they died, and no one could, like, no one saw it coming. The, the, the avalanche forecast did not see it coming. Uh, so it was just a huge surprise on, on people because there is not in all aspects as well. Where is the wind coming from? Where is the sun baking the snow? Um, so it, it's a lot to think about when you plan a trip, like if yeah, you have no, persistent weak layers. Yeah, well said. I think that's the key phrase, isn't it? Persistent weak layers, that they're buried deep in the snow, commonly associated with early in the season when you have cold temperatures and a shallow snowpack but there are other <laughs> things as well but again it's that reminder for people to you know get some education if you can and, and share it with your friends that you, you you said um is i mean 
I want to talk about the environment and your commitment to that, um, lessening your impact on the environment in a bit. And then I want to talk about your latest movie as well. Uh, but you're going to be a married man. What does that mean for, for these adventures? Do you just have to be even smarter? Uh, how does it, how does it, you know, do you have these discussions at home? Um, I think Thea knows me and knows what I, 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 she says is in, in my latest movie, I have an urge to like go out there and seek some people call it danger. I'm just seeking a feeling uh, for myself. And of course, I think when we, if we can have, <clears throat> have kids and we're lucky enough to, to get, uh, to have kids, uh, there will be, of course, a whole nother thing like the steep skiing, the, the free riding. But for now, it's just something I do. And the last couple of years have been so good for me as a snowboarder, getting sponsors and being in movies and being on podcasts, talking with people. And so for me and now the show just must, must go on and Thea and her family and my family, they're really supporting me in this. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, nice. Well said. Um, new films coming out. I know you, what is the next, or what is the latest film? Tell us a bit about um, that. So every season I've skied with people doing their own film. Um, and I've been left with some, a small feeling of like, I want to do my project. I want to do, I want to do myself. I want to tell my story and the things I'm thinking of. And, and so I, I got the budget from from uh, Rab and I made my first movie. It's called The White Giant. Uh, it's been shown here in uh, all over Norway in a film tour called uh, Free Fleet. Um, so yeah, that's cool. We're actually doing a re-edit on it now late November. So it will be out on online, I think, after Christmas sometime on the new year. Fantastic. And, yeah. and we'll be able to see that it's going to be at various film festivals, yeah, around Europe so. as well. I hope yeah. so. The, we were, we were, I was a bit bummed since we're doing the re-edit because we missed all the, like the Hi-Fi festival in, in France and a lot of festivals during like the early, <laughs> early season. But uh, I know a lot of festivals takes and shows uh, movies that's been online. Uh, so uh, yeah, I hope to, travel around in Norway, maybe in the Alps when I go there uh, to show the movie and talk about it and just uh, show people who I am. And Fantastic. I, I, can't, I can't wait to see it. And uh, I mean, one of the big things in Norwegian uh, society uh, has been is the, I don't know how I say it, Jonteleven. Jonteleven, is that how I Jonteleven, say it? Jonteleven, yeah. yeah. Tell, tell me about that. What is it? Just for people, because it's interesting because you have that, um, it's quite pervasive and quite common in Norwegian society, or it used to be. I hope I don't say it wrong now. <laughs> no pressure. But yeah, be to people how you want people to be or treat you like, I don't know how to say it good in English, but be nice to people. If you want people to be nice to you, be nice to people. 
yeah, I think you said it really well. It's, it's pretty simple, I think. And it's there's a, there's the that like a social conscience, like you know you you. Um, it's it's not so much about the individual. I, I think a lot of Norwegian people are very modest. Hmm. That's that, but sometimes that could hold them back, maybe as entrepreneurs or in certain opportunities. Of course, so, of course. Sometimes you need to. Of course, you can be nice, but sometimes you need to think about yourself and what you want to do. One example is, and I've uh, Nikolai, my my good friend, he said it to me. Like, if you want to be the best skier out there, you kind of want to ski with some people also wanting to be the best skier out there. Because if that other guy you're skiing with is just fine with one lap and you want to do 20 laps, you're going to be held back. And sometimes you just got to go your own way and find your own path in, in life and see where it takes you, I think. Nice. And this winter, just to wrap up, you've yeah. got, you don't have to tell us exactly, but you've got some... Are your projects uh, close to home or have you got a few little other journeys within Norway? Um, I'm starting off my season. Uh, I'm going leaving work at uh, mid-December and then I'm traveling to the Alps for the whole January just to get a lot of skiing and doing some episodes with Nikolai. It's going to be out on his YouTube. And then we're coming home, just making episodes and late season, I hope to do uh, a follow-up movie on my uh, newest project because there was uh, a few or one line I didn't get to ski in that movie and for me it uh, would be a really cool thing to ski it and, and make a movie about the process of skiing it and getting to do it. Nice and I'm, I would imagine that some of these steep lines when you're doing you know steep skiing I like to call it you know extreme skiing because sometimes people think oh i'm skiing a steep slope it's, and it's not really that steep it just mm. sometimes it's the, the the terminology is not so accurate but what you're doing is pretty extreme is spring a good time when you get the nice snow in the sun it's softer like a lot of the alpine first descents mm. they will wait for spring to get that very special uh like corn snow that the americans mm. would call is, is that something you get in the north yeah, uh, we get it. Uh, we we get it. Sometimes uh, in the north sides, we get it really, really late. Like, and of course, we have the polar night. Uh, the sun doesn't set, so, uh, uh, or like the yeah. So so some of the lines actually in my newest film, we had to start walking ten p.m. because we we're gonna be at the line at two a.m. or three a.m. Because that's when we have the sun coming around the north, hitting the east aspect or the north aspect. Uh, wow. So getting yeah. the corn snow and, and those aspects are, you need to wait for, for a really long time. Brilliant. Listen, it's been uh, fantastic to chat, Kristen. Thanks for... Likewise. Uh, you know, and, and on a, we'll, we'll put links in to, to, to your new movie and... Um, if people haven't seen them, it's really incredible. And it's, uh, the north of Norway is, is such a special place. And, and, and uh, I think you, in some of the films, you capture the northern lights a little bit as well, don't you? Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, awesome. Uh, I hope you have a great season. And uh, thank you. Stay, stay safe out there. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. 
I've been your host, Andy Cave, and you've been listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast. To keep up to date and to hear more interviews like this, don't forget to subscribe 